The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, welcome back to Afternoons with Mike with Dave Zanotti on the line with me today. My friend, it's always good to have you here. Thanks for taking the time to be with me on my program. Thank you, Mike. If it's not presumptuous, I am so happy to be a regular contributor to the fine programming that you do on The Shepherd here, and I always enjoy talking with you. Well, I uh, I really appreciate your being a regular. You have regular insights that we all need, I'll tell you that, man. And uh, I want to get right off into one reason why I wrote you, and it's recent news that uh, to me, Dave, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be surprised anymore with the new stuff that comes out. Uh, you wonder what in the world people are thinking or what are they doing. But I am on a mailing list, as I'm sure you are aware of all of this as well, that uh, Marco Rubio sent a letter to Pfizer, the CEO, on an alleged, now this is the quote, I'd never heard of this before, so I'm my ignorance is on full display, gain of function research and i so i i thought that caught my attention what does that mean i mean in layman's terms what does that mean and the first paragraph of this release says an investigative report suggests that pfizer may be conducting gain of function research which it dubs here it is friends directed evolution research to mutate the sars-cov-2 virus to create additional more potent variants and vaccines to combat future variants. Now, if, if I just stop right there, because the madness is already there, it, it sounds to me like they're creating something new and a resulting vaccine to treat that something new that has been created. Am I reading that wrongly? <laughs> Mike, uh, no, you're, I think you're reading it just like most of the rest of us would read it and experiencing a profound level of frustration as your your mind trips over simple logic uh, and asks the questions when you connect all these dots, what's happening here? Let's, let's peel this back. Uh, first thing that comes up is a conversation. Let's, let's take COVID off the table and let's talk about big pharma. Now, big pharma is a nomenclature for the companies that make, manufacture, distribute drugs at the uh, base level where the, the material is produced to the distribution links that connect the drug companies to the pharmacies and the pharmaceuticals. Let's cast this conversation in the most recent experience that America has had with abuse across that network, and that would be the opioid crisis. And the series of lawsuits that were going on during the COVID crisis that never got covered. That's a remarkable thing that happened in this country. There were years of pressure produced, uh, mounting from law enforcement officials and the medical community about the opioid abuse, the distribution of abuse, the the manufacturing uh, abuses, all the companies that were connected, uh, Purdue and all of those. And there were feature uh, 
programs like Dope Sick that came out on Hulu that rocked the world and books that had been written on years and years and years of research and the connection between opioids and the cartels and fentanyl and all of these things. And when COVID hit, the entire conversation disappeared from the American media. Now, while the conversation was buried in the COVID conversation regarding opioids and abuses, those trials throughout the federal court system had been consolidated and were in process. And those trials actually were resolved with massive fines, uh, the literal dismemberment, the deconstruction of the biggest abusers in the, in the process of big pharma, and massive fines leveled against people in the distribution side, the manufacturing side, even down to the pharmaceuticals, and even down to the uh, drugstore chains. Now, all of this was going on, and most people never knew what was happening because it was all covered by the hysteria and the media coverage of COVID. Now, some people would say that's a conspiracy in plain sight. Um, I don't know how to interpret it. All I know is that lots of companies and individuals were found guilty and were forced to pay massive fines for the abuse of the manufacturing and distribution of dangerous materials to our culture. Now, that would be how Big Pharma would be known today if it wasn't for COVID. COVID took it right off the table and turned Big Pharma into this massive partnership with the federal government with emergency use authorization so that they were granted blanket immunity from any problematic features that would accompany the rushing of a mRNA therapeutic treatment into the marketplace, reconstructed in its nomenclature, renamed a vaccine when it has none of the characteristics of what vaccines have been for hundreds of years in American medicine, and then pushed first by the Trump administration as, quote, beautiful vaccines, and then by the Biden administration and by local governors who, by and large, almost all tripped over themselves to uh, put on their windbreakers, link arms with lab coats, and create a near hysterical B-movie plot Saturday afternoon black and white film existence where the government began to track our movement and basically state that human beings were carriers of a deadly virus. Therefore, human beings had to be stopped. Wow. This is amazing. Now, that's what happened. And history will look back and they will see, history will see that clearly. The nonsense that we could shut our economy down like a V-shape, like turn it off like a light switch and it would come right back. Years after this, we are still experiencing the ramifications of COVID and, and that process. Now, some of those are actually good, but many of them are, are devastating. And certainly the trillions of dollars that were lost to our economy, the trillions of dollars in debt that were spent, and the billions of dollars that were wasted in the, in the COVID reparations and other absurd ideas that came out at the state and local level, we'll be paying for for the next full generation. All of that as a means of saying, now let's look at Pfizer because Pfizer got the lion's share of public policy support and public financing to create without liability an experimental model that they had been hoping for, as had Dr. Fauci, based upon his 2018 presentation before the Milken Institute, in which he specifically said, 
that he was frustrated, as were his colleagues, because enough money was not available to do mRNA massive testing to see where this technology in humans would go. And they said out loud at this conference, if there were an outbreak of a new form of a coronavirus, perhaps from an Asian source that would come out across the world, it would give a window of opportunity for such an experimentation. In 2018, they proclaimed they were just simply speculating about what would get us over the threshold to get big money into this technology to see if it could work. Well, coincidentally enough, pause for effect, just such a circumstance came out of a Wuhan lab. In such a circumstance where gain-of-function research or experimentation on viruses to see what they just might do was going on and funded by United States taxpayer dollars in one way or another. Now, I'm glad Senator Rubio is asking Pfizer for accountability because now it looks, Mike, like the news story you're reporting is the United States now looking at repeating the same mistake. Yeah, and instead of a Wuhan lab, it could be someplace in the United States where the next thing happens. And the whole thing, this is what's so mind-boggling to me, Dave, the whole thing is contrived. It's, it's brought on by ourselves. I mean, it's like shooting yourself in the foot. It's, it's, we'll go down again. History will judge all this, Mike. There's a book on the 1918 flu um, that, that's out. It's, it was kind of the, the, the um, uh, sort of the textbook review that a lot of governors were reading at the outbreak of covid and it goes back and explains very clearly that there were huge mistakes made and that the biggest mistakes were thinking that masks were effective against uh, this style of virus and that lockdowns worked. This, is, this was at the end of like 400 pages of research. Evidently, the governors never got to the page 400 part section of this book. They didn't bother uh, reading but, it. Now. Yeah, but, the, uh, but, but history will look back. There will be a book written that explains how incredibly foolish all of these decisions look now with hindsight. Now, this is not to say that we can condemn anyone in public service for not having 2020 vision uh, and being better at looking back than looking forward. That's our human dilemma. Uh, that's one of the reasons why it's really important to pray for our elected officials and, 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 and people in public service to pray for wisdom because we can't see what's around corners. But what we can see in plain sight is the connected interest between Pfizer's bottom line profitability, which is astronomical, and the preferential treatment that they received along with other manufacturers of the vaccines, that they were given emergency youth authorization, full public direct transfer of funds. That's, that's uh, CVS and all the drugstores, Walgreens, all of them, as well as any distribution links that were connected and, and Pfizer as well. All of these people were given both legal immunity and given a piece of a massive transfer of public debt and what it was, was an experiment. Now, given the hysteria that set up the experiment, we can't truly condemn everyone, but history will forget the emotion and look at the facts. And when we look at the facts, they just don't add up well, Mike. I know, you're right. And the, the thing that I think is shocking to me, Dave, is that up until 2019, and, and as you said, now looking back a year earlier in 2018 when that declaration was made, I think most Americans would think about our medical society, the uh, even the whole thing with 
all of these organizations that lead uh, the medicine and you know our health they would they would think i believe that by and large these were good organizations that were trying to make our lives better keep people healthier uh, and right now i I think it calls to question that very motive, and I'm wondering how far backwards, if we looked, we would see signs of this kind of manipulation in order to make money at, at the expense of people either being sick or dying. I wonder how far back we could look and see any evidence. Mike, there used to be a day in our country when people profited from making things or making things better. Today, in, quote, the knowledge-based economy, the idea is to get paid for what you know. Well, that has created a, a, a strange dynamic in the academic community where getting to the position where you can be paid for what you know requires a tremendous amount of payment of time and money to be made into academia so that you can walk out with monstrously huge degrees and letters behind your name to prove that you have earned the right to get paid for what you know. However, getting paid for what you know still usually requires taking money from somebody else. Now, in the old days, MPH used to stand for miles per hour. Through COVID, we discovered that most of the people carrying these, or wearing these lab coats and carrying around these studies that they did, these models and projections that told us how the world was coming to an end in 90 to 120 days if we didn't do exactly what they said, had MPH behind their name. And that's when we learned it stands for Masters in Public Health. So in addition to being doctors of one level or another, many of the people that were building these models are part of the academic structure of public health. And public health failed the public in virtually in almost every way in COVID, beginning by constructing models that were not academically sound, scientifically honest, and then were used as battering rams in our state and local governments, as well as our national government. And those folks broke the trust. That's where the trust broke. We were lied to. And I can speak to that without any, I'd stand in a courtroom and say it and name the names of the people who lied to us to manipulate public opinion and public dollars. And again, there were winners and losers in that process. Big Pharma, particularly Pfizer, biggest winner of all. Now, this was going on, as you said, in the beginning, all of this, uh, the lockdowns and all of the the vaccine talk started in the previous administration. Uh, this is something I'm sure that the people who are around President Biden are happy as can be to point backwards to the Trump administration. But I, I wonder, do you believe that President Trump, uh, it, it seems to me, at least from my standpoint, that he was unaware. It's almost like it was painted into a scenario that this research has come into play for such a time as this. Well, let's talk about mRNA technology. The notion that we can do cellular transformation uh, by manipulating what's going on through mRNA devices, this has to do with mRNA and DNA, is a fascinating field of research. 
it is possible that there may be benefits that play out down the road as, as with this kind of technology as a delivery mechanism to address systems of, of disease in our bodies that we cannot get to right now, we, either with a typical form of drug use or with surgery. Now, I'm not a medical doctor. I just spend a lot of time talking to them, and many of them who don't yet feel safe to talk out loud will talk to us. So you can find many doctors and much research to take the general statement that I just made about mRNA going forward. But only in COVID did mRNA methodology, genetic manipulation of cells for the purposes of better health, become transferred into the notion of a vaccine. That was the biggest bait and switch on all of this. And it's what left a lot of thinking people in the dust right from the start and feeling manipulated. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And we got to admit, oh, we got to go to break. Sorry. Yeah, we do. We need to take a break. I'm with Dave Zanotti, and we're going to continue this. I think there's a lot to be said yet about this research with mRNA and its supposed, uh, really, inoculation with no impact at all, negative. That's what we were told. We're going to talk more with Dave in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Stay tuned. More to come. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Back again, I've got Dave Zanotti on the line with me. Dave is part, I didn't even give the proper introduction. I should have done that. Dave is with the Public Square. He's president, founder of the American Policy Roundtable. And that whole organization is obviously very meaningful to the Shepherd family. They are on all of our stations around the network, bringing the type of discussion and the insight that you're hearing from Dave today, uh, basically to bear all year long, and it's on lots of different topics, not just what we're talking about now, not hardly at all a government watchdog, although I think you serve that kind of purpose in a lot, but more importantly, understanding policy as it was supposed to have been handed down by those that teach our American founders ideas, and my goodness, we have come a long way from that, right, Dave? We have, Mike, and interesting uh, always how everyone tries to um, figure out how to explain what it is that we do because it is an unusual place that we have in the marketplace and in the mission field to America. That is that we're an independent organization. We do not take money from the political parties, nor do we attempt to direct any group of people, particularly Christians, into one political party or the other. Uh, And we don't carry water for candidates or campaigns. And so what we're trying to do is to bring reality as in the service of humankind, uh, 
and us offering our service in our communities based as the logical outflow of a genuinely redeemed, fully biblical worldview. And so we're trying to put feet to faith and to put faith in action in every arena arena of life for what St. Paul calls the common good. Now, this whole thing that we were talking at the end, and I so appreciate, by the way, all that you are doing for that very purpose. I think we need it. And we're not hearing it from too many places right now. We're certainly not hearing it from the American media. We're going to be hearing a different narrative coming from them. So what you're doing is so important. And in the previous segment, we were talking about these organizations back in 2020. I did a couple of uh, interviews and we, we... cited the Gospel Coalition back then, and all of this was in an interview with World Magazine, about how that this vaccine was a very helpful thing. And now you fast forward a couple of years, uh, and it didn't even take that long, by the way, Dave. I remember later in uh, 2021, in June, I attended a uh, conference And it was the first time I had a doctor at that conference as well as an attorney who were representing uh, this this particular convention that was going on, uh, bringing news. And I think a lot of people would have dubbed them off just as conspiracy theorists because they were saying, look, this is not as safe as what we're being told it is. This thing has ramifications that none of us know about. And we're being given this just hook, line and sinker. And it's not as safe as they say. And now that was very clear. It was made, it was just dramatically made clear. And now we're finding out that, you know, I remember Dave, the the person that was probably one of the chief uh, researchers on mRNA later, he he didn't believe that it should be doing, uh, given the way it was being given either. And I think they debunked him, right? I think you might be speaking of Dr. Malone, who still is out there making some very interesting statements. But Mike, we could roll this back. Just before we even get into the applied questions of danger, um, let's roll this back to the first question that we brought up in the first of many, many episodes of the COVID Chronicles, talking to doctors who were medical researchers, medical professors, and career physicians in treating patients for decades who looked at this, looked at the understanding of the type of coronavirus and the coronavirus family that we were dealing with, and applied medicine to date, which was that when a new style or novel virus in this family of viruses, in the coronavirus family, comes out, ultimately what science has taught us to date is that humans must endure, experience, endure, and overcome this through a system of natural immunities. That's the way that that, that we ultimately conquer these kinds of viruses. Now, and, and, and Johns Hopkins University, at the very beginning, one of their earliest statements made in 2019, defined this as a mild virus with mild symptoms for most people. They, didn't, they say that it is life-threatening in some circumstances, but it is, a, it is within the normative range of what we understand as the new and novel viral, uh, coronavirus. Now, um, the fear of what happened with gain of function. In other words, that's what normally happens. And if this was what, I believe the term is zoonotic uh, or zoontic, I'm not exactly sure. I never, I stumble over that word every time. The notion that this jumped from from an animal species into a human species, okay, that that happened. Uh, That 
of course, always freaks people out and creeps people out until we know what this really looks like. But, but again, if something like that happened and was then manipulated before in a laboratory before it fell into the human experience by accident, now the question becomes how much analysis can we get on what's actually happening out there till we understand from a genetic and, and a position of microbiology what actually is happening there. Is this a weapon? Is this uh, germ warfare? It, it, what, what is actually happening? And so in the midst of all of this happening, all of these questions gave platform for amplifying the danger of this thing. And it was the panic from what we didn't know that overcame the logic of what we knew to date. And those scales were tipped largely by false models that were presented by major universities, both in Europe and in the United States. And those models were used by governors to create the strategy of flattening the curve and then ceasing human mobility and commerce because humans were the carriers, therefore humans were the enemy. And we're still learning about some of the things that were done in the surveillance culture there that are bone chilling. Uh, and those stories are still coming out about how many governors and how many people across the country in law enforcement were monitoring human activity by monitoring cell phone activity and, and watching where people were going without their knowledge. I mean, these things are, 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 are very scary in regards to where is America going in the future. But the model in all of this was a departure from goodwill, a departure from common sense. It was driven by fear. And, and Mike, from the first, very first word we spoke about COVID, we quoted a passage in the New Testament that St. Paul wrote to Timothy. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. Mm -hmm. And Mike, a lot of people lost their minds during COVID. They really uh, did. Unfortunately, they're getting them back, but at a very high cost. Yeah, this was a, a very big part, the fear. And I think, you know, like you said, there was goodwill. I think the American people originally, I uh, know well, that certainly would have been in my mind. I, I didn't like it, but I'm thinking, well, this is for the good of all. We've never been here before. So let's uh, take part in this two weeks to flatten the curve. And uh, I know that I think most people trusted those that were leading us that this was for our good. Now, again, fast forward, not even till now, just a short time after all this happened, serious questions come up about why is this person uh, being uh, able to take this medicine and, and the medicine that they took that seemed to make them feel better is suddenly not available anymore. So that that is very suspect right there, the way the government took some of these uh, very, uh, what, they were very common medicines and they used to be available to treat this thing, and now the only thing that you can get is what the government gives you. Let's talk for a second to the person that's listening who maybe is a new listener to The Shepherd or maybe is unfamiliar with some of this conversation that's going to be tempted very quickly to dismiss this conversation. Let, let, let's make something very clear. You and I are having this conversation without any potential of profit from anybody. The people who created the models who created the drugs that had already been created and were being pushed toward a massive human experiment. And the people who produced those drugs and distributed them made billions and billions of dollars. I didn't make a dime having this conversation, nor did you. 
So let's let's first off talk about motivation. Secondly, you don't gain in popularity by co- coming against all of these structures of government and challenging them in regards to integrity and civil rights. This is not a, what would be the motivation. And someone say, well, Dave, you're afraid. Yes, I am. I don't want to be driven by fear, but I am always afraid. I fear the loss of human liberty under law. I fear totalitarianism because those things are evil because they are direct contradictions to God's design of love of neighbor. And we have seen and witnessed in the last 100 years in this modern culture how quickly people can fall under the destitution and devastation of totalitarianism. And when governments work to make people afraid, people are in trouble. And that was the methodology that was used here over and over and over again. This was not a transparent process. This was not an honest process. At, 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 I, at Almost nowhere in the process. Now, but someone will shout at the radio, look at all the people who died. Here's a medical reality that is hard for people to understand that began from the beginning of this and hasn't changed one bit. People with pre-existing conditions means meaning that they are not healthy in many ways that are that ultimately all of which could be fatal when hit with a new form of a virus that particularly exploits the weaknesses of those pre-existing conditions are going to struggle and die and what you notice now is that when people try to give you the quantitative advantages of taking the vaccine We find out it doesn't stop you from getting the disease. It doesn't stop you from passing the disease on to others. At best, they continue to speculate that perhaps it mitigates against the worst symptoms if you are in the pre-existing condition class. Now, if that is in fact true, that's very valuable and, and very important. And I'd like to believe that it is in fact fully true. Though I know many people with pre-existing conditions who have gotten COVID two and three times and have recovered. Okay, so we don't know a lot. But what we can tell you right now is that these technologies are still out for judgment. I'm not prepared to call any of them beautiful. I think that's wise not to. And, you know, when you uh, were talking about the, the perceived benefits that come from this vaccine, what's not being talked about by the same people, at least, evenly or openly, would be the uh, maybe the negative things, the side effects that are very dangerous. And those are, you're almost uh, canceled from any particular cultural standpoint of speaking out if you believe that there are negative side effects. And think about that, Mike. I mean, there. Uh, this is what's tragic. People say, well, Dave, you're not a doctor. That's right. And, and well, how dare you speak? Let me tell you why we're speaking. Because we're talking to doctors who quickly discerned and were exactly right that if they dared to speak out, they would be canceled. They could lose their licenses. They could lose their career. They could lose so many things. They talked to us so we could talk to you. And there are two or three or four sides to this entire debate, but only one has been dominant, and that has been the government-sanctioned practice of medicine, the government-sanctioned expression of speech, the government-controlled over over all of free speech in social media and all of those networks. All of this is coming out now, Mike, which points out to one thing. 
the importance of radio, the importance of people taking honest conversation to one another person to person and to get past the government filters. That process is just as frightening as what happened in COVID. Right. That's true. And, you know, the, uh, the this fear that can come from that, uh, it, it might shut some people up, but it's not shutting everybody up. And I am too, I'm very grateful for the talk radio stations around the country that are continuing to put these questions out there. I'm grateful for people like Charlie Kirk, uh, who just speculated, I, I wonder, said openly, I wonder if there's any tie-in. I mean, we should not be afraid to ask the question, is there a tie-in between what happened to DeMar Hamlin of the NFL with this vaccine? And uh, I, I don't know what all the tie-ins are, but I do know this, that just for mentioning that possibility, he was called a human piece of garbage by a leading announcer. And that's just an amazing turnaround. Uh, it goes against all common sense. Well, this is one of the reasons, Mike, why we have to be very careful with social media I mean, for all of the people that are screaming about uh, private corporations who have built these social media platforms with our money, with our lives, with our minds, and now suddenly we are screaming for regulation and, and screaming about abuse, look, there's no social media platform, Mike, with all of its power that we the people didn't build. And as insane as it sounds, we are actually in the public policy business with a, with a radio media network and other media forms of media on over 200 stations and outlets across the country. And we do not use social media to get our opinion out. And people say, well, you'd be 10 times bigger if you did. Uh, first, I don't know whether that's true or not, and I don't know that it matters. I know this, that the devastations of what social media has done in our culture to individual lives, to kids, to teens, to families, to our public processes, even to churches, is so significant that no amount of gain could be worth the loss. It's just not worth it. Well said. And you know, you can see that in practice at any restaurant, at any evening, in any city in the United States, where families might have gone in for a meal and sat and talked and had a good time. Most of the time you see people sitting around with their face down looking at the screen uh, trying to stay connected, but they're not connected to each other. Well, it, if you've heard a recent broadcast we did on the public square called Teens and Tech, an interview uh, on this on the recent research that came out from Brigham Young University, uh, people will discover that on average, the average teen in America spends 70, that's seven zero, 70 hours a week on a screen not including the time they watch television or the time they're in school. 70 hours a week. And that's got to make an impact when you invest. You know, I think about the old saying that I heard years ago about computers, garbage in, garbage out. That works for our human hearts as well. If we feed ourselves and our minds, nothing but something that is that kind of dangerous material, it's going to produce the same in like fashion. My guest today is Dave Zanotti. We'll be back with him for a moment. Dave is the host of The Public Square from the American Policy Roundtable. We'll be right back. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. 
All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. The time always flies by when I have my friend Dave Zanotti on the line with me. And uh, we've been talking all about this Pfizer article that was written by Marco Rubio. It's actually a correspondence that he has sent challenging the Pfizer organization, asking questions about their intent, their processes, uh, all of the things involved with this thing called gain of function. And that's the study that Pfizer has been reportedly under, which is now dealing with a different form of COVID, uh, the SARS virus. Uh, And they're also, along with the experimentation, and it's called evolutionary guided research. That scares me right there, brother. Yeah, directed evolution is the term, and it's been out there for a while, and uh, it's been uh, blown up. The story's been blown up by the recent uh, work of Project Veritas in which they did an undercover, and that's their term, undercover video, with a a person that was um, uh, named Jordan Tristan Walker. Uh, Dr. Walker, who's not often given his right credentials, has got extraordinary credentials in regards to um, both medicine and research, and is either an employee or a consultant to a company that Pfizer hires in regards to mRNA, uh, research and development. Um, and uh, there, at the point of our conversation, allegedly there's over 30 million views of the Project Veritas piece. I have real problems with um, undercover journalism uh, conducted the way that Project Veritas does it. They claim moral superiority and authority because they say things are so bad they don't have choices but to use their techniques, and we should be thankful to them, and, and that's their story, and they're sticking with it. I have a hard time with what they do and how they do it, Uh, The content of what they uncovered is uh, a conversation that apparently is going on, according to Dr. Walker, inside Pfizer and perhaps even experiments going on on uh, animal species in regards to creating a new form of the coronavirus, of the COVID-19 virus specifically, uh, and therefore being able to anticipate what it might do, what others might do to it, and then to create a form of therapies that will anticipate that. And of course, that shocks everyone and it's created a great amount of, of, of storyline. Now, a story that was not covered anywhere near as dramatically, which might have produced Project Ver- Veritas's frustration, is Boston University uh, has admitted that they have been doing similar things uh, and there has been no substantive consequence. Now, this is not Boston College. Boston University has been doing similar things uh, and there's been no... Uh, outcry and certainly no government intervention to stop them. And Mike, what a lot of people don't realize is you're dealing with different states, different municipalities, jurisdictions, and the question is, who does have control? Does Congress have a law passed that says you shall not do any form of gain-of-function research on any form of a coronavirus? Is, is that out there in law? No, it's not in statute. Now, do states have it? They haven't caught up with this yet. So these people are operating in windows that are just outside the reach of law, and and then what do you do with that? So this is a scary reality, but I want to put some context in this. Uh, 1918, the Spanish flu wiped out millions of people. The CDC in the 1950s was doing 
research that resulted in gain of function. They went back and found human tissue frozen in Antarctica, uh, brought that tissue back that had where people had died from the Spanish flu, recreated the Spanish flu virus for the purpose of being able to manipulate that virus in the event of creating additional vaccines, as well as what future things might happen. The CDC itself is guilty of gain-of-function research on the Spanish flu. And it's right there on their website. And no one in America has made an issue of that. So this is a realm that drug companies and medical researchers and big foundational funders have kind of a playground with very little rule and and very few guidelines, very few fence lines. Congress and states need to get involved on this, and we need to be certain. Now you say, well, wait a minute. If you stop medical research, you're limiting your potential for future health. Okay, look, we get that. But we are not even having an open, transparent public debate. We've got people having to do underground uh, you know, research to find out what's going on inside Pfizer. And, and yet Pfizer's taking billions, tens of billions of dollars of U.S. taxpayers' money. It's not right, Mike. We've, we've got to have more transparency in this process. I completely agree. And I read an article last week where it talked about their value of Pfizer has like doubled since the COVID uh, insurgents here. And so they're doing quite well. Thank you very much. In Marco Rubio's letter, he asked several questions. Number four goes right in line with what we're talking about right here, about this whole thing of uh, the, these colleges, these organizations, even the CDC doing this gain-of-function research. Number four says, what steps has Pfizer taken to ensure the mutated virus does not leak from the laboratory and infect the greater population? Now, that's one of those questions I think often of a line that I've heard, what could go wrong? You know, Dwight David Eisenhower, at the end of his administration, in the midst of the Cold War, and having been the commander of the Allied forces in the, uh, against the Axis forces in World War II, made a speech in which he warned us against the power of the military-industrial complex. I will tell you, Mike, the power today is the medical-pharmaceutical government complex. The union between medicine, pharmaceuticals, and big government is frightening. It is a frightening club of influence. And when you add the surveillance aspect to this now that we saw exploited throughout COVID, um, we really need to be on guard. So when Senator Rubio is asking those questions, that's the right thing that he can do. The problem is because he's in the minority party of the Senate, he's not going to get any traction from that. Uh, the problem is there are still too many people in the Club of 100 where Senator Rubio sits that are owned and operated by special interests, and one of those being the drug companies. There are Republican and Democrat alike. You know, there's a great scam going on in our country, Mike, and that's the idea that everything is divided between D's and R's, conservatives and liberals. That's what Fox News wants you to believe because that's how they keep their ratings alive. Mike, it's just not true. We've been in the public policy business for 43 years. We have been there, and we have hundreds of years of accumulated experience, and we have no reason to lie. The top of the United States Senate, 
Republican and Democrat leadership. The top of the Republican House leadership, Republican and Democrat, are part of special interest cartels. Their parties are funded by people like Big Pharma. And they tell us what we want to hear on the news shows, but behind closed doors, in legislation that is so complex and so lengthy that nobody will ever read it, they do their deals. And this is why we are in such grave danger, because we do not have a transparent process. So we move from crisis to crisis. And it's only when the crisis gets so bad that people are forced to pay attention to who the good guys and bad guys really are that we actually get reform. Then everyone in Washington, D.C. clutches their pearls, wipes their brow, and comes around and says, I don't know how anything like this could have happened, but it will never happen again. Who are we kidding? Right. So do you feel that there is any appreciable, uh, let's say, direction changing that can go on since the House is now in the majority of Republicans? I know that it's very clear you've already made that point that uh, the Republicans aren't like the 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 only hope here because oftentimes they've been part of the problem as well. But do you feel that this change of majority might address some of these things? Not at this point because the change isn't significant enough where the new players in the House of Representatives can shake the bondage of Republican Party leadership over the House, the cartel, and Republican leadership over the Senate. It will take so many new people coming in from the bottom. Now, it's not thousands. It's not even hundreds. It's dozens. When the House of Representatives has a dozen more free agents, people who are constitutionalists, long before they are party loyalists, then we have a chance of having these conversations and fighting these fights. Now, there are some good people up there who agree with this approach. They don't have enough majority sway to counter the dollars that are being ployed against them into their party structures by the big business cartels. Look, and I'm all for profit and for free enterprise. Mike, this isn't free enterprise. This is fascism. This is a collusion between the agencies of government and corporations to restrict and direct the economy and human liberty. This is what they're doing. This is how Pfizer got away with it. The, the, the tracks are so familiar. For example, here's a, here's a piece of information. I'd love to know everybody listening today. How many people know that the CEO of Pfizer is a veterinarian, not a medical doctor? I didn't know that. That's amazing. Nobody knows that. How can such a substantive factor be undiscussed across the world? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with veterinarians. I love them. We need them. Okay. And, and, <coughs> excuse me. And I'm not suggesting that since Pfizer apparently is is considering so many medical experiments in regards to laboratory animals, maybe a veterinarian at the top of the heap makes the most sense. But why is it that nobody knows that? That's a because great our question. assumptions are set. Yeah, our assumptions are set by their PR people. So, okay, so this is this is the process that we're in. The great news is our system is set up with a process of accountability called frequent elections. This is why the framers put House elections every two years and why our legislatures in the states are the same way. Because we are able with every 24 months to change the numbers to fight the special interests. Now, again, I'm using language that people find strange coming from a conservative worldview because they've heard special interests always banged on from the left. But that's a part of the game. 
That's what they want you to think. They want you to think that the right has no special interest control, when in fact, the leadership of the Republican Party and the, and the Democrat Party alike in the United States Congress take gargantuan amounts of money from special interests and are loyal to their bidding. And that's how these people end up so wealthy after serving uh, a public service job like an elected position. They leave millionaires or multimillionaires because of this very thing. And it's why our state legislatures are so important. Because Florida's just like a, a, like a high school trying to imitate a big college. Florida's got big special interests, all right? And, and they do dominate Tallahassee. But every now and then, a group of lawmakers gain critical mass, and they're able to challenge those people more effectively because the closer our decisions are made to home, the more influence that we're able to have over the outcome of those decisions. That's why every election is important, why county commissioners are important, county mayors are important, state representatives and state senators are so important because our system is all designed with checks and balances. It's why I'm so excited, Mike, to tell you that there's a bill in Tallahassee again. doesn't have a lot of chance to pass, I don't know. But finally, we have reached the point where lawmakers in Florida are willing to introduce legislation to penalize people who drive in the left lane. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about on our highways. <laughs> yes, how many times... Yes, how many times do we see chaos on the highway simply because someone's driving 62 miles an hour in a 70-mile-an-hour zone and living in the left lane and usually using their phone? How did the left lane become the safe harbor for people that are texting while driving in the high-speed lane? Okay, I mean, there's like a million things wrong with that. And while the, the example is both frustrating and humorous, it brings a point up, and that is that we need local representation to be able to have honest conversations about stuff that impacts our lives. And there's a particular issue that is just a, a real problem. I'm not sure that this legislation is necessarily the answer, uh, but, but the point is we need places where we can have conversations that are unfettered by special interests. Like there's no society for driving in the left lane. There's no, there's no enterprise that is now influencing our legislature to stop people driving. And we can actually have an honest conversation about that because you see, you see my point. We've got to get to where gain of function is as honest a conversation as the fact that everybody sees the left lane problem and nobody's doing anything about it. So let's change that. Well, I hope they can change it. And I thank you, Dave, for being with me today. We're out of time. Dave Zanotti from the Public Square with me yet one more time. Can't wait till the next one, my friend. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.